Today we are taking two readings from God's Word, beginning in John chapter 12, and then we're turning over to Acts chapter 2. First, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. The next day, the news that Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem swept through the massive crowd gathered for the feast. So they took palm branches and went out to meet Him. Everyone was shouting, Hosanna, Lord, be our Savior. Blessed is the one who comes to us, sent from Yahweh, the King of Israel. Then Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it to fulfill what was prophesied. People of Zion, have no fear. Look, it's your king coming to you riding on a young donkey. Now let's jump over to Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The believers praised God and were respected by all the people. More and more people were being saved every day, and the Lord was adding them to their group. Today is Palm Sunday, the day Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem is commemorated, marking the first day of the Passion Week. And before moving into the message, let me begin by stating that in view of the latest developments brought about by the spiking pandemic, we, church, will not be moved in celebrating the fact that God is still in control. Even in unforeseen and seemingly ever-changing circumstances, God's got this, and we will get through it, church. We're praying for continued wisdom to be given to the leadership of our nation, and we're pressing in for God's healing power to be manifest in our church family and friends, as well as to comfort and strengthen every family and individuals who have encountered loss. Now let's get to the message. God indeed has a word for us. Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it had its beginning in the small hamlet called Bethphage on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem. There Jesus mounted a young donkey and rode down and across the Kidron Valley up to Jerusalem entering the city through the Golden Gate and then into the temple complex. Now, I want you to, for a moment, just imagine the scene. A large crowd of Passover visitors had already heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And by now, many of them had been told of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and they wanted to see the Lord in person. Others, no doubt, saw that this was a sign. Uh, they saw it as a sign of Jesus' identity as the Messiah. And they wanted to proclaim him as king, as king, as he entered Jerusalem. As verse 15 of our text points out, that with Jesus riding a donkey's colt in Jerusalem, he fulfilled an ancient prophecy that had been proclaimed 500 years earlier by Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Now, before Jesus mounted the donkey's colt, the disciples, the scriptures tell us, the disciples spread their garments on its back for Jesus to sit on it, which he did. And as he rode, the masses came out to welcome him, laying their cloaks and palm branches of palm trees before him as they would have for any conquering king in ancient times returning to his city. Now listen, the crowd knew Jesus was somebody special, but they didn't grasp that he was indeed the Messiah. They considered him to be only a prophet. They were so caught up in themselves and in all the trappings of religion, they really missed who he really was, causing Jesus later to weep over the city. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Now, let's fast forward some 55 days later to another great gathering of people from 13 different nations, again, in the city of Jerusalem. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the disciples. And as they began to speak in other tongues, the crowds ran together, astounded that these Galileans were declaring the magnificent acts of God in their own languages. Others sneered and made fun and said that they were drunk with new wine, but Peter stood and he refuted their charges, seeing that it was only nine o'clock in the morning. And then Peter powerfully preached the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and 3,000 received Christ as Savior and as King. Now get this. Listen carefully. On the day of Pentecost, those responding to Peter's message received Christ as their eternal king, whereas on Palm Sunday, the crowd embraced him as their earthly king. And they did so on Palm Sunday. They embraced him having one hope, that he would deliver them from Rome's tyranny. But at Pentecost, these 3,000 were born again by receiving Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, receiving him as Savior, the risen Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And the church was birthed, and the church was off and running. This transformed group of people made alive, made new by the Holy Spirit. They formed and they displayed great qualities right from the outset, which we, the church today, must ask the Holy Spirit to renew in us. We complete the series that we began today, part four, our final message on qualities of a renewed church. Qualities of a renewed church. This fourth and final quality of a renewed church, it actually has its beginnings on Palm Sunday in John chapter 12. For you see, there's one word in John chapter 12, one word which everyone was shouting when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Everyone was shouting this word, which really set the stage 
for this fourth quality to be displayed by the church, this new community of God's people. And that word is found in verse 13 of John chapter 12. So they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. Everyone was shouting, Hosanna, Lord, be our Savior. Blessed is the one who comes to us, sent from Yahweh, the King of Israel. Hosanna, Lord, be our Savior. In Bible times, when persons would appeal and plead to their king for help, or they would plead to their king to redress their grievances, they used the word Hosanna. Hosanna. Anytime they would appeal to their king or plead with their king for help, to help them to deliver them, or to redress their grievances, they used the word Hosanna. Hosanna means save. It means save now. Give us help from oppression. Let the utmost degree of salvation and deliverance be communicated to thy people. This was the cry. This was the appeal to their king. Save us. Deliver us by your command. Help us. This was the cry that was being made by the throngs of people who were ushering Christ into Jerusalem during his triumphal entry. Now, let's look at this phrase from Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. More and more people were being saved every day, and the Lord was adding to their group. More and more people were being saved. Hosanna, save, save now. And it says on the day of Pentecost, as this church was birthed, more and more people were being saved every day from that point. And the Lord was adding them to their group. From the outset, the church took the responsibility to communicate that the utmost degree of salvation and deliverance is found in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, answered the cries of save, save now. Give us help from oppression by presenting Jesus Jesus Christ as Lord and King, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Therefore, the fourth and final quality of a renewed church is an evangelizing church. An evangelizing church. The Holy Spirit empowering God's people for witness. The Holy Spirit empowering God's people for witness. Oh, the importance of this fourth quality cannot be overemphasized. Without it, the impression could easily be given that the early church was interested only in studying and learning the apostles' teachings, or the, the church was only interested in caring for its own members and worshiping God. In other words, without this fourth quality, the church could have been seen as being preoccupied with its own domestic life, ignoring the plight of the lost and the lonely uh, outside of its walls. This certainly was not the case. 
because of the last two words of verse 47, which says more and more people were being saved every day, every day. To have conversions every day meant that the church was continually devoting itself to reach out to the unsaved. And that meant that the Holy Spirit was mightily at work, empowering the church anew to fulfill its responsibility to the lost in accordance to Christ's final words on earth, which are recorded in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth where the church today finds itself stagnant, unattractive, boring, perhaps shrinking. It's time to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 again. It's time to get down on our knees and ask God by His Spirit to renew His church once more. For the gospel has not changed. God's power has not diminished. People are in need of rescuing more than ever. Come on, church, let's take this unexpected season to let the Holy Spirit empower each one of us anew so that the light and the life of God may be evidenced in and through us with any opportunity that comes our way. Oh, may we yield ourselves. May we surrender ourselves to the workings and the dealings of the Holy Spirit, this work of renewal that God is so ready to bring to us his people. Come on, let's pray. Let's take a moment and set our hearts before God right now. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Come on, just ask that question right now. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? May I not be caught up in myself my world but as they did on that first palm sunday i miss so much that you want to do in me as well as through me in this challenging hour come holy spirit we need an outpouring we need redoing renew us so that others may see renew us so that others may know that you are alive and that you rule that you reign in all of this unexpected circumstances that we're dealing with you reign you rule may it be evidenced in our life oh god by the renewing work of the holy spirit in jesus name No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that King, the King of glory, Son of the living God. Not just another King, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. 
He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king.